Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Making Action Happen. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. And I'm Brian McCain. We are back in the new year. We're excited. We're doing a slightly different format this year. We're going just strictly on demand. So many of our listeners, so many of you uh, have enjoyed the on-demand feature. And so we thought we would just cater to that. We've got a great episode uh, for you. We've got Colonel Bob McLaughlin with us. A lot of you already know who he is, but we're excited to have him. He's been doing some really incredible work in the last year or so. His entire career. His entire career. <laughs> but I was going to say specifically, he's been doing some really great work where he's pivoted and carried on what he's already doing um, to really help veterans with Mount Carmel. So we want to talk about that today. Um, before we get too far into that, um, I want to remind everybody that we have Voices of Rural Colorado coming up. This is the event that we do every year with Club 20 and Pro 15, the rural, our sister organizations for rural Colorado. They um, So most people, it dawns on them as soon as you say it, but... Um, Action 22, we collaboratively represent 22 Southern Colorado rural communities. Uh, Pro 15 has 15 and Club 20 has 20 on the Western Slope. So we get together. Um, it's a great event. We have a tremendous support from our legislators and the executive branch. Uh, we do it. It's in Denver. If you get the email um, from us, then you already have um, the links to register for that. If you don't, it's on the website. Yep. Yes. If you go to action22.org, it's the first thing that pops up and you could go to the registration, buy tickets, see the agenda and all that fun stuff. And and the tickets for the two day event are only a hundred bucks. Yep. And so um, we really encourage everybody to go. It's going to be your best opportunity to connect with the legislators um, at the beginning of the session. So if you want to do that and shake hands and make sure that they know who you are and what you're talking about you need to be there for that and also see what else is going on in the state. So Yes, and then also kicking out the show, we kind of switched our format. Instead of going from a live weekly show from 1 to 2, everything's going to be recorded. Everything will be video. So I have put most of the vid video up on YouTube, and you could just go to Making Action Happen on YouTube, and it'll pop up and any major podcast platform. But it's a work in progress, so we're a little messy right now, but yeah. you know, we, we invited Colonel McLaughlin on to be the experiment, if you will, for our new <laughs> format. Um, of course we have an ugly white wall here, which that will be replaced because I ordered too small of a backdrop, which usually happens when you order off of Amazon without seeing it first. But this is, this is what happens when you're developing a show, but the yep. last year, I think this is, this might be our 58th episode. Something like it's that. It's around there somewhere. So we're getting pretty close to 60 episodes yep. um, that we've had out, which is um, when we get to 100, we'll celebrate it. But um, this has been a tremendously powerful tool for Action 22 in the last year. So we're really proud of it. So we're especially excited to have Colonel McLaughlin, McLaughlin as our first guest this year. So, all right. Some people have heard your story. Some people haven't. If you uh, want to get to know him a little bit better, you need to go to our um, 
YouTube. He did a beautiful, very moving um, presentation talk at our annual meeting in October, and that's on YouTube already. Yeah, and it's also on our website. If you go to the tab that says our annual meeting, it has all the presentations mm-hmm. there split yeah. up for you to watch. But with that, um, I'll, I'll say firsthand, I, I met Colonel McLaughlin when he was a colonel, still in active duty few years ago and um, I was doing my political thing. He was doing his army thing. And then just recently when I came to action 22, about a year ago, um, I got a phone call that says, said we need to meet. And I came up at, to Mount Carmel and we've spoke about Mount Carmel on the show many times and what they're doing. But um, now Bob McLaughlin, Colonel retired, um, he's kind of spearheading that operation. So why don't you just tell us a, a little bit about yourself and then how you transitioned to Mount Carmel. Well, thanks, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I was career Army officer. I came to um, Southern Colorado, specifically Fort Carson, in 2009 to serve there as the uh, garrison commander of Fort Carson, which was, you know, b- basically a life-altering um, time for me. Um, I'm a native New Englander, and the reason why it's life-altering is, you know, it was over 10 years ago, and I'm still in Colorado Southern Colorado, Colorado Springs, trying to help veterans. Had no idea at the time when I showed up at Fort Carson that this would be my future, but um, wouldn't change it for the world. I think uh, the community here in Southern Colorado, specifically in Pueblo, obviously is a military-friendly community that wants to make sure that our veterans are cared for. I'm um, privileged uh, to work with uh, Doug Fitzgerald, who's sitting in the room over there smiling, (laughs) <laughs> um, here in Pueblo to to do just that. So how did we get here? Um, I was um, fortunate to serve with some great men and women in, in our military, all different branches of service. Um, I'm a soldier, um, several deployments, both to Iraq and Afghanistan. And during all the deployments, you know, I assure American, Americans that um, young men and women are, will always rise to the occasion in the darkest of times and the most challenges of times and always take care of each other and value the mission and the values that brought them into the military, loyalty, duty, respect for others, selfless service, honor, personal courage. All those things are alive and well in our military and they're alive and well in our veterans. Uh, I had an opportunity as I was serving at Fort Carson to meet Jay Chimino. Um, Jay has uh, some roots in Pueblo. Jay, very successful businessman in in uh, throughout Colorado with Phil Long Enterprises. Uh, Jay's a former Marine. Uh, he and I became friends basically because of what we tried to do in Southern Colorado together. You know, south of Colorado Springs and Trinidad and the Pinion Canyon training area. And uh, Jay built the Mount Carmel Health and Wellness Center in Trinidad, and he always had an affection for the town of Pueblo. And he always told me about his time in Pueblo and introduced me to a lot of good people here throughout the years. Uh, And then when I was about to retire from the military, he came up with the idea that uh, we, he and I, should get together and do something important to help the veterans of Colorado. Uh, The idea of the Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center was born uh, probably in 2013 after he had already been operating the Mount Carmel Health and Wellness Center in Trinidad, which is doing great things for the community there. So that's how it started. Jay's very persuasive. He's a, he's a very good Italian fellow. Yes. And, and um, basically gave me a deal I couldn't refuse. <laughs> <laughs> 
So he's, oh, I think for such a long time, he's been a tremendous philanthropist, really, for the for the community. But maybe one of the things that I admire most is he wants it, that to be impactful. He doesn't just, you know, sort of, it's not a throw some money at it or anything like that. He's really very involved with um, everything that he puts. He doesn't just, like, give it money and, and bless it and leave it. He really stays focused on it and locked in on making sure that it's a success, doesn't he? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, Jay's a very good businessman. And you would expect that people that are that successful in business talk about money first. I learned very quickly that you never talk about money, sometimes never. You talk about the mission, you talk about the vision, you talk about helping people. And then in in the end, if you have a good plan, uh, then you talk about the financial responsibilities supporting that plan. And that's basically how we started the Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center, uh, where it is in Colorado Springs. Uh, to date, we've been operating for over five years, and it was actually Jay's um, wisdom that said it's time to spread south and do more good uh, good work um, in Trinidad and Pueblo and use um, the ability to expand services to help every veteran, in, every rural veteran in southern Colorado. And that's kind of our, our mission right now, and we want to do it. Uh, we're we're um, establishing a presence here with this great community, and uh, we're proud to be able to offer services t- to help people who uh, who need a hand up, not a handout. This is a little off topic, but I can I just take a second to talk about the Mount Carmel facility in um, Trinidad. So if you don't know this or if you haven't been there, take a minute to stop and go over there when you're in Trinidad next time. Uh, we really wanted to do something when we were down there for our annual meeting out of there. Um, it just didn't work out, but it's it's gotten architectural awards. It's a just like the vision for this was tremendous. Um, they literally, they took this old church, they lifted it up, mm-hmm. and then um, they re- were remodeling it. They lifted it up, built a um, basically a basement. It doesn't feel like a basement, but a, a bottom floor. And then they lowered the church back down, but the way they've preserved it and the way it's just sort of a jewel and it ju- it's very much a service to the community is really, really a cool story. Well, it's, it's pretty amazing. You know, Our Lady of Mount Carmel was Jay's childhood church, and in 2007 it was in disarray. And, of course, Jay, being a visionary, saw the church that basically nurtured him as a child in disarray, and, of course, he wasn't going to stand for that, so he purchased the church with not a clear understanding of what he wanted to do, but he knew he <laughs> seriously, he knew yeah. that it would hit him. So he uh, studied the community, uh, understood that healthcare was a, was an issue that needed um, uh, more support. So he um, basically, it's a community center and a health and wellness center. They're partnered right. with salute there. Um, they, they're making it easier for the community to get healthcare that they uh, deserve without having to travel far distance. So, which, okay. which going, no, I was just going to say going, <clears throat> excuse me, to taking care of our veterans and specifically rural Colorado, even Pueblo, um, both Doug and I worked in constituent services for years doing this. And one of the biggest complaints is you have these elderly veterans, um, not retired, you know, they did their four years. Um, they're living on a very fixed income. They rely on the VA, uh, for healthcare, and, you know, you could go down to the Valley and, and these guys, they were traveling to Pueblo or even Denver to get the services, even from Pueblo to Denver. 
And just the small little corner that Mount Carmel has provided in Pueblo, I mean, you're, you're already seeing people walk in the door and helping them out. And I, I don't know what the numbers are yet, but you just opened and, you know, you've had a dozen or more veterans come in, I, I believe. So, so it's, um, it's a much needed service. Uh, I know we rag on Denver a lot and even Colorado Springs to a point, but you know, if you're a veteran in downtown Denver, you're fine. You get on a bus and go to the VA and everything's right there. If you're a veteran in Alamosa or even Pueblo, it's, it's not that easy. So we, we really appreciate what you're doing down here and helping this community out. So 4,000, um, veterans in Colorado, um, in El Paso County, there's about a hundred thousand in Pueblo County, I think 13,000. Yeah, it's, I would say I put it around 17,000 is what we'll see after the census is finalized. Well, you know, of the 400,000, most of them don't congregate or live or operate in the Denver area. Many of them choose to live in rural Colorado, and it's important that we're able to um, provide support. If you if you looked at the top five veterans issues, transportation is always, no matter what county you're in, transportation's in the top two or three. Yeah. Um, and, to, and to bring services to Southern Colorado where veterans don't have to travel is going to be very important. And it's one of my priorities. The, um, the VA has had the community network of care program in place for about two years now where providers can opt in to be a um, community network of care provider, whether it's specialty care, primary care, um, behavioral health. What I'm hoping to do with partners in this region is to get more of them to be part of that network so that veterans can get the care that they need and deserve right here instead of having to travel. So can you give us, Colonel, give us some examples of some of the specific things that you've done uh, recently or maybe the top things that you guys have done recently through the Mount Carmel Veteran Service Center? Sir, great. I, I um, you know, anytime I talk about the Veteran Service Center, when Mr. Chimino first challenged me to do something I asked him what he wanted to do, and he said, you better tell me because I think you've got some experience. <laughs> right. So so basically, you know, from my almost 30 years in the military, we know that the military wraps itself around military families. We know that once someone separates from the military, the VA is not chartered to take care of families. And everybody knows that um, the nucleus of any veteran's life, man or woman, is is his or her family. What we're... What we um, want to be able to do with the Mount Carmel mission is to provide uh, services for the entire family, not just the veteran. Our core competencies are transition and employment, uh, which is absolutely on everybody's mind upon separation from the military. You know, people ask themselves the big question, whether they're a 30-year guy like myself or a four-year one-termer, what am I going to do when I grow up? I'll let you guys know when I answer that question. (laughs) But literally, that's on everybody's mind. When you're in the military, you're singularly focused on a mission with an amazing focus and in the resources to do that. And then the separation is often challenging because what veterans will tell me is they lose focus. Um, they don't have a sense of team. So having employment that means something um, is important. So what we've been doing for the last five years is trying to link the talents of a veteran with the right employer and then come alongside the veteran and the employer to make sure that everything is going okay 
Because transition is hard no matter what you're doing in life. And coming out of the military is a very interesting transition. So doing that transition, ending in meaningful employment is is very important to me personally because I know it's um, on the forefront of everybody's mind when they're coming out of the military or whether they're, or they might've been a veteran for 10 years and had a, had a life changing event um, and need employment or change of employment. So we, we, we do that every day. We uh, have good partners in Pueblo and we're going to keep um, partnering with organizations to make it easier. Uh, we do counseling too, um, behavioral health counseling at our place up in um, Colorado Springs. What, what I'm hoping to do with many of the organizations here in Pueblo is is do more connections with the community network of care so vets can get the health care that they need locally. Um, and then we do supportive services, which is a mix of, you know, what people need today to get, you know, their feet underneath them again if they had a tragic event in their life, a loss of job, a loss of a loved one, going through a divorce, uh, moving to a new place. Uh, they, they might need something immediately. We pride ourselves on working with people to, to give them a hand up, whatever the immediate need is to get, everybody has bad luck sometimes. And we want to make sure that, especially with those who are, who have served our country, if they need something immediately or a warm embrace in the, in the form of support, uh, we want to be able to provide it for them. One uh, thing that I, I believe the Colorado Springs facility does is uh, eyeglasses, correct? We, um, Keegan Meyer, great guy. Um, he uh, approached me about three years ago and said he wanted to do something to help veterans. Um, if people didn't know this, the VA outsources eye care, optometry, and glasses. Keegan set up um, um, Veterans Optometry uh, Organization and uh, operates right in the main lobby of Mount Carmel. They do great work. More and more people are coming in to um, uh, get their glasses the goodness about what we're doing in partnership is when a veteran comes into Mount Carmel, it's not just an optometry center. Mm -hmm. They come in and they see the other services. You know, like I said, it's a family affair. Mm -hmm. Many times veteran man or woman will come in for a specific service and the spouse will see everything else that happens at Mount Carmel and together uh, they'll be able to navigate other resources, whether it's a new job, whether it's um, supportive services, whether it's something for their kids. Um, to me, it's about family, and that's why we want to do the holistic um, approach to making sure that families stay strong, which ultimately builds stronger communities. Yeah, and um, you know, one one thing we've brought up on the show many times with veterans that have been on, and even myself, is uh, that mental health care. I think right now, even after this uh, pull out of Afghanistan, you know, you hosted, now Carmel hosted the event with, I think it was Senator Bennett was there to discuss what was going on. And, you know, across the board, I saw it from some of the younger guys. It's like, really? You know, they, they saw that mess on TV and I, that really impacted a lot of these guys. Um, the younger ones specifically about, you know, you just spent the last four, eight years of your life there and watch it just that happen live on TV. That, that was tough for a lot of people. Well, certainly. And the first thing I remind our veterans is um, of the positive impact that, um, you know, if you did, if you had a 20 year career and you started in 2001 and retired last year, that's 20 years. Yeah. And in, in um, 20 years in Afghanistan 
And in that 20-year period, lives were, Afghan lives were changed for the better. Yes. There's a whole generation of Afghan, specifically women, that have a better chance um, to do good things. And in many cases, they would have had to leave the country to do that, and that's true for many. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always remind veterans, you had a positive impact for 20 years, and in many cases, as a, as a service member, you, service members... Um, doing the tactical mission, sometimes your day-to-day um, sacrifices aren't, don't align with what, what the policy decisions are. Mm-hmm. And we all know that um, the withdrawal out of the country was not um, favorable and created a vacuum for the Taliban to come in and take control. You know, clearly, whatever people heard of the Taliban is not our friends, yeah. right? You, you can't be at odds with someone for 20 years and expect them to be cooperative you know, they might be a friend of convenience, which is exactly the case. So it was hard to watch. Um, number one, veterans made an impact for those 20 years. Number two is organizations like Mount Carmel are there with, with counseling to support those in need. And then, and then number three is um, there's so much work being done to help our allies, right? In this region, we, we expect about 100 families to relocate near Fort Carson to be with the service members that they served with literally. So we're working with uh, Lutheran Family Services um, to make sure that our veteran population is connected to um, help with resources, um, translators, people who know the community, to make sure that these families that relocate to this region um, are welcomed and supported uh, because, you know, they did just that for us yeah. 20 in 20 years. So do we, when will those families, I, I, I'm interested in that part a little bit um, more, if you'll unpack that. So the families, you say there's going to be a hundred or so. And that information was accurate about a month ago. It may be more, right. um, but if you didn't know it for the listeners, um, Lutheran Family Services has a whole department that deals with refugees. Mm-hmm. Uh, we like to call our Afghan friends allies, not refugees, because we made a promise to them that we would help them. Yeah. So um, the Lutheran Family Services is in the middle of de- of dealing with resources. Um, I get um, feedback from them routinely now on who's coming. Not much information right now on exact timing, but what we're trying to do with our partners in the community is, you know, rally resources for people who basically will come with um, more or less nothing to make sure that we help them. Well, and housing has got to be part of that. That yeah. I'm sure that there's big concerns about that. Where are these Where are these families at right now? Well, they're probably in transition in, in some of the refugee camps around the world. Where that's an initial transition out of Afghanistan uh, to ultimately settle here. You know, and, and people are all over the map on this. People are like, "Wait a second, they fought with us. We're going to take care of them." Others will say, "We got to take care of ourselves first. So, so somewhere in the middle is the happy medium. Right. You don't. We won't sacrifice helping our veterans uh, because we're helping our Afghan allies. We're going to do both simultaneously. Well, I would, th- I, this is just from a non-veteran, but I would think had I been in that situation, I would, um, and these were your, definitely your allies. You want to see them taken care of as well. I know um, I, I was speaking with a, a friend of mine um, who served very briefly there, but came back and, the frustration that they had that um, it wasn't moving quickly. It wasn't moving as quickly as it, he thought it should. 
that um, he was desperately worried about somebody that they'd worked with, you know, in that brief time. I mean, there's a whole lot of um, frustration and angst on, and maybe I'm wrong, but on the part of, from what I've heard from a part of the veteran community on, on this issue in particular. Um, and I don't, I don't know if I'm really in the position to weigh in on it. I'm not a veteran. I didn't work with these people. Um, maybe we should be listening to the veterans on what, um, what should be happening on that. Well, I'll tell you this from, from my experiences, but my uh, last tour was in Afghanistan in uh, 12 and 13, and I mainly dealt with um, U.S. resourcing. Um, I was out and around several of the base camps and cities. Um, I, I befriended um, several people in the political arena, but my experience on the battlefield comes in Iraq where where I lived or died with my Afghan allies. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, my Iraqi allies, whether they were Iraqi army, Iraqi police, Iraqi politicians. I mean, they became like um, family to me. Now, I know how people in Afghanistan feel because when we, I was there in 06 and 07, and when we left, I, I would tell you probably about a dozen of, I would say, my good friends were executed by ISIS. So to put that much of your life in the hands of brothers and then know that our withdrawal from Iraq led to their execution by our enemies, you know, still something that it's hard for me to deal with today when I think about it. That's why I understand the importance of um, helping our um, Afghan allies uh, that are resettling to make sure that they have a chance. For me personally, it's makes me feel good to be able to do that, knowing that I wasn't able to do anything for my friends in, in Iraq. And it's got, that's got to be a, a general feeling within the veteran community to know that they do something. Maybe that's the best thing that we can do for the veterans at this point is to support them in supporting those allies. Sure. Um, it, it's, a, it's an opportunity. All veterans want to be, it's just in the nature of someone who has served to serve. Um, COVID is a per, uh, perfect example. What a, what a difficult year 2020 was, and we're still dealing with challenges. But what I found within the veteran community is, um, first many vets with means said, I need to support something. I need to give to something. Um, many, many veterans, um, wanted to volunteer to help, uh, at Mount Carmel specifically, we do food drives to help. Um, Doug led a food drive here in Pueblo. Thanks, Doug. And, um, and veterans come out to do that, to help others, to help other military members that are that are in need. So um, when I first started Mount Carmel, it was all about providing services. What I didn't realize at the time is it's also about providing opportunities mm-hmm. for for retired veterans, for, for, for veterans that want to um, still give back. Um, you know, that's a form of healing, too. So, it is, absolutely. Yep, and we're proud to do it. We're proud to bring in volunteers that can help the community, and and I know that as we uh, grow more in Pueblo, we'll have more of the same. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, switching gears a little bit, we like to kind of <laughs> make it fun at times. <laughs> one one thing that Sarah always says is like, "Tell me a good story, or tell me a funny story, or a um, heartwarming story." So, we'd like to hear a good story from you. <laughs> Oh my God. Specifically when you served. Oh, there's, 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 um, there's so many, um, opportunities with, with, a, with, within my career where I've been touched by people who want to help, um, whether it was on the battlefield or, or whether it's 
as the garrison commander of Fort Carson. Um, I think I had an opportunity to serve with the Marine Corps for three years at Camp Lejeune um, from 2002 to 2005, and I had an opportunity to be involved in their action in the Alambar province, both in Fallujah and Ramadi. And that's the first time I, I got to see the impact on, um, on young Iraqis that might have been going to college that um, wanted to be interpreters. You know, you can imagine the sacrifice at the time, the Alambar province area was probably considered the dangerous place on earth. And they um, wanted to help, and they would come into our base camp uh, to do radio shows, to, to inform the people of, of um, good things that were happening and get rid of the propaganda. So to me, um, it, it was heartwarming to watch them um, sacrifice and take great risk um, to to work with us to to do something good to help their people. Uh, I'll never forget it. I'll never, you know, so there were men and women in their mid-20s trying to make a difference in a very tumultuous time in their country. And that, that would be terrifying. That would be like somebody here in, say, the States that would be like, well, I want to work, I want to help out and volunteer with Catholic Charities helping a family. And it's like, okay, but you'll, you might get killed for doing that. And most people will be like, okay, I'm not going to do that. It's, it's ama- it is amazing to watch. And then the other thing that was important to me during my second tour in Iraq is, you know, and I, and I even said this back then, if we spoke a common language, this would have been over in five years, yeah. right? If we could communicate effectively with those, um, with culture and language, you know, culture is one thing, language is another, but the, the language barrier prevents so much so to have so many um, nationally born um, people from that region come forward in this country, uh, they didn't have to volunteer to do that. Yeah. But I served alongside um, many of them that, you know, some middle-aged guys. One of them was a um, major D in, in Chicago, and he came to want to do this. He earned a good living, and he worked with me every day on the battlefield. Another one... Um, was uh, of um, uh, Shia descent and same thing. The other thing I didn't realize is culturally, because I didn't know the language, they, they, based on their religious affiliation, they would be threatened by the other party yeah. when they were with us. There's a, um, this is a funny story that kind of goes back to that. Um, I worked with a, a guy, and this was years ago, and he ended up working for a government agency where he basically went in and it was with a nonprofit as well. And they went to Africa and some of the more war torn areas of Africa where you had, you know, various tribes and warlords that were different political parties, different, you know, beliefs. And his job and his wife would go in and teach them about just say, not even democracy, but how government works, how you get along with each other, you know, how elections work. And he, he had a video and I have it somewhere. I should try to find it where he basically is sitting in this, this village and all the surrounding villages are there and they don't really care for each other too much. And they're kind of vying for power. So he said something like 36 political parties were in this room Yep. and he goes, okay. And, and he's, he's like, anybody, can you tell me that say this party's in charge here and you're working with them or you're both in charge and they say something you don't like or introduce like a, a policy that you don't like, what do you do? And then, you know, they kind of look around and one guy raises his hand and he's like, you kill him. 
And he's like, well, no, 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 no. We're not, we're not gonna do that. And they're like, what? <laughs> it's like, no, you don't oh, kill them. Great. We're gonna have a discussion about how to find compromise and make this work for the best of everybody. But it, it was the same thing. It was a, a cultural and a language because, you know, in some of these areas, even in Afghanistan, you know, you go to areas where one village doesn't even speak the same language as the next village. Right. They're, you know, different dialects and and that kind of, you know, that grows into something that's like, well, uh, we'll, we'll just kill them and then we'll, we'll be fine over here, you know? But, um, so during your time in Afghanistan and Iraq, um, you know, and then coming here to Fort Carson, uh, you going back to the transition when you get out of the military and you have these vets that come back that have been on multiple deployments and, you know, they're getting out. When I got out of the military, it was like, you'll get your DD-214 in the mail, good luck. And then they just kicked you out. Um, and, and this was back in 2003, 2004-ish. And I know the Army and all the branches kind of struggled to find a way that would work to help with that. You, you had everybody that would go through job training before they get out or um, the schools would come in. Um, they they seem to have got better at it over the years, but – if somebody's just getting out now, say I've been in for 12 years, I have multiple deployments under me. I went in when I was 18 and now I'm like 32 years old or 30 years old. And I'm looking at that gate. What will the military do to help prepare me for the real world? Well, the, the most important thing is I believe in 2009 under president Obama um, signed the VAW act mm -hmm. So, so for those veterans out there, you know, the first sergeant's going to have you in the motor pool to the very last day, right? That's the, that's how it is. You know, you, you're, you're, a, you're a service member and you're going to serve until we're, until we're done with you. Um, and that was a prevailing attitude in our military. And, and there's nothing wrong with that because the taxpayers pay to fight, you know, and you can't fight unless your equipment is clean and your equipment can't be clean unless you're in the motor pool doing yep. that dirty work. <laughs> and, um, but we we uh, even in 2017 i think it was 350 million dollars of unemployment that was being paid by dod mm -hmm. which is a pretty significant chunk of dollars for unemployment and I, and i think policy what they realize is we need to do better and i've watched this transpire over time mm -hmm. we need to do better at um bridging the gap career skills gap so so on fort carson for example the soldier for life center is all about um, making sure that organizations on the military installation and partner organizations like Mount Carmel are there to start a transition for employment that could start as much as 120 days prior to separation um, with internships and fellowships. So now in this region, if you're a service member, any rank, and you and you want to finish your career in a meaningful employment – you know, you don't start looking the day you separate. You already are in a job. So the promise of the VOW Act is that you will have a job when you separate, which is a huge, which is a sea change in mentality. Yeah. Because you can't be in the motor pool one day and then and then working at Home Depot the next. You could if you were lucky. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's it's like getting new shoes. you got to try them out. So what we're doing with Mount Carmel and the, the great leadership on, on Fort Carson, which kind of leads it for the other installations is yep. making sure that, um, that military members and spouses and kids get an opportunity to seek out, um, employment that's meaningful. You know, everybody knows that the, uh, 
the post 9-11 GI Bill was meant to help people with um, with school. And unless properly co- coached and counseled, there are horror stories mm-hmm. with a veteran thinking that they can support themselves on that. And they can't because the money, aside from the tuition, the um, per diem or stipend that you get is only good while you're in school. You can't you can't live off that. So, so Mount Carmel balances education and employment to make sure that the transition is smooth. You know, by the way, you know, we're talking about employment, but school is a sometimes a foreign animal yeah. to a to a mid-level NCO or or junior officer that hasn't been to school in a number of years, and you got to go back there. We're we're committed at Mount Carmel to make sure that was one of the very first things I did was partner with colleges and universities to make sure that they came alongside the vet to um, coach them you know, with counselors and all the schools in Pueblo and Colorado Springs and all over the state have specific military departments. I know most of the leaders that are in those departments to make it easier for the vets to sustain the grades, get the counseling, get the tutoring so that they, so it results in a, in a, in a degree. Yeah. And that, that's tough too. As you said, just, uh, <laughs> junior NCO or even, you know, enlisted with even four years in, you know, you went, you go back to school and you're with a bunch of 18 year olds that you're looking at these guys and you're like, you're all morons. <laughs> Sometimes that's the, <laughs> well, the well, thing. And, I'm, and I'll speak from experience. When I was a young lad, ROTC <laughs> graduate, I was not a very good student. I, I valued a lot of things. I valued the classroom, but I didn't have the I don't know if I was maturity, but it just wasn't in my, it wasn't one of my strengths. Yeah. Um, so personally, when I was in the military for about 10 years, I went back to get a master's. And because of the skills that I learned in the military, plus my wonderful wife, Cindy, um, I got a 4.0 in my master's because I had the, the what are the skills that, they te- that you learn in the military? You know, it's all about leadership, but it's about time management. It's about... Mm-hmm. It's about understanding um, how to approach problems. And frankly, academia is nothing but solving a problem. Right? Mm-hmm. So so I'm just speaking from personal experience. I learned or matured academically tremendously um, from the time I was an undergrad to the time I got my master's, which was separated by about um, nine years. Wow. So <clears throat> I was going to say that um, it, that reminds me of a story that our friend Paul Hendrickson, he went in, he was having some frustration because, you know, he's done, he did a whole lot um, to really develop the, that veteran community out at CSUP. Um, and he talked about how one of the difficulties in that transition was that they'd go, you know, these guys who had were just getting out and on their GI Bill um, would go and they'd be required to do orientation or to be required to do all these things that were designed for 18 year old kids who'd never been away from home, who'd never done this. And they'd have to go to these things. And they were just, there was already such a huge divide um, that a lot of these guys would just throw up their hands um, on some of those things. And, you know, we know, I think that um, I have to ask you, most, and to be fair, Paul was a little intense too. I mean, he's very intense. Yeah, there's no, and, but that's, about, that's part of that. But that's that part group. of You know, that. this guy, he came out, he started a very successful business here, graduated, doing great. Um, a, a close friend of both <coughs> me and Doug, but you know, he got out, I think after eight years, it was, he was in for eight years. Yeah. Yeah. But he was a, he was a ranger. 
um, you know, a sniper qualified, all this stuff. Super I mean, intense. he was like a proud door kicker. Yeah. And then he goes from that and he's like, okay, well, I think I'm going to try school now. And he got there and was just like, you he know, just, just, I would see it in his eyes because he, his mind. <laughs> he set up the, he set up the student veterans of America chapter at CSU Pueblo with some other vets. And, uh, I would go in there for their, their, uh, opening and they had a little lounge area and he would just be in there just like <laughs> staring. So, so I have, I have a, um, opinion on the cultural clash there, which, mm-hmm. which, which I think is, um, something that veterans can negotiate or navigate if, if you go in with an open mind, right? Yes. You, 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 you the, um, and justifies the means, right? Yes. You know, going through the door, and you're not kicking the door in this time. Yeah. You're opening it yeah. to go to school. <laughs> but, but he got, he got that after yeah. a while, but it took a while. <laughs> yeah, you you know, you're after a degree, and and everyone else there, whether they're fresh out of high school or they're middle aged person going to night school, everybody's after a degree, and that common bond, um, which I experienced in my master's program, I was um, probably eight to ten years older than several of the other students, but we all had a common goal. We had to work together, you know, in many cases in, in um, school, you got to work as a team. It's not just all individual stuff, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, most of the veterans had worked in teams with, um, with NATO allies, with, with allies in general. So they, they were, you know, skilled in taking someone from a different culture and working with them. That's a culture going to a, uh, university or college with a young man or woman is a different culture. So the skills that you learn in the military should transition, you know, transfer pretty nicely to understanding here's the, here's the problem set. The problem set is I need a degree. This kid, man or woman is a genius, 18, 19 years old. I'm going to leverage that kid. And no, by the way, I, I might be able to impart some of my wisdom. So if you go into it, that attitude that everyone's in it together, it's not a dangerous environment. I don't think it is. It shouldn't be academics um, unless you're a knucklehead. Um, And then the other thing is there's always resources to help. Just like in the military, when you have to attack a problem, literally, whether it's the enemy or an obstacle, you got to bring resources Mm -hmm. to the problem. Academics is the same thing. If you don't understand what the professor's saying because he's speaking in tongues, which was my situation, I never understood, you should go get a tutor, right? So all those things I, I would... I would challenge to veteran challenge veterans going to school, approach it in a way that you did with the problem set in the military. So we're going to take that clip and give it to the schools to show any veteran coming in and transition to it because you're completely right. And Paul got it after a while, but again, what Sarah said, sometimes they get some of these veterans get a little too (laughs) defensive and hard headed on it that they, you know, they just give up and there's other frustrations and it's way better now, but Back in the the day, it was like my G, GI bill didn't come through. What's going wrong? It's like, oh, the paperwork's stuck in St. Louis or wherever it was at. And, you know, that that was an issue that we ran into, and it was frustrating for him. But we were able to fix a lot of it. But it seems to be a, a bit smoother now. Well, take um, take the schools that we're, we're partnered with, UC, um, you know, UCCS, um, CSU Pueblo, um, Pueblo Community College, Pikes Peak Community College. Every one of those institutions has what what started ten years ago a very good um, veteran center or yeah. community. Um, we do outreach to those centers. Some of them come to Mount Carmel, so we can talk to them about their resources. Are you know what, what's the difference between an eight year old? 
kid coming out of high school and a 26-year-old veteran. An 18-year-old kid normally doesn't have a family. A 26-year-old veteran may have one or two kids, spouse they got to take care of. So their their mindset is, you know, I don't just have to go to school, but I got to put uh, food on the table too. Yeah. So that's a... That's why having those like-minded centers is important so you can live a balance. Yeah. Well, and veterans are always so great about asking for help. Yeah, they are. They are. And and they they realize now and and there is a network of support out there for you whether it's <laughs> academic with the veterans issues, mental health, you know, what Mount Carmel's doing. Every school, every college, they want you to succeed. And if you're having trouble, there <coughs> is a resource there for you, no matter what it is. And they will work with you and they will help you and they will go out of their way to help you with this. And when you reach out for help, you're actually doing more than just for yourself. You're yeah. helping train and develop skills for, and know what to do for the yeah. next veteran that comes and asks for help. Okay. So what's next for Mount Carmel? Well, you know, what has COVID taught us, right? The, um, the challenges of social distancing, the, uh, everyone in our country knew that, um, telemedicine was in the works and the 2020 forced our nation to do that, to be able to connect remotely to people, you know, zoom teams. Um, we at Mount Carmel, when it comes to services learned that you don't have, you don't necessarily have to be there in person to connect with somebody. So we, we've expanded our reach, which is great. But on the flip side, we know that most of our veteran population wants face-to-face. So we've balanced that. I would tell you going to the future, we're going to leverage the ability to reach with technology to get someone connected. Um, We know in this region, whether you're in Pueblo, Colorado Springs, Trinidad, uh, Walsenburg, housing is an issue. Homelessness is a problem. Um, We want to continue to work with the great organizations out there that try to help with transitional housing, supportive housing, permanent supportive housing to make sure that everyone has an option to go through the spectrum of, you know, I might be homeless one day. Um, and I've seen it firsthand where, where we've taken people from homelessness to home ownership in a year. Wow. <clears throat> Pretty amazing. That's amazing. <clears throat> Pretty unbelievable, but you've got to be able to get the support. Uh, and I would I would tell any veteran out there, everybody who joined the military succeeded in something, mm-hmm. right? They've had it in them. The first thing they succeeded in is having the fortitude to volunteer. I'm going to do something, especially post 9-11, where they knew 90% of them were going to go into a harm's way. So for Americans to be able to not just volunteer to serve, but volunteer to serve and know that they were going to serve their country in harm's way, there's something in their soul that's pretty strong. Um they may have had a hiccup in life that, that put them in a downward spiral. Mount Carmel is there to make sure that if they're going into some bad luck, that we can pick them up because we know what, what they once were. Yeah. So moving forward, we're, we want to be able to do more connections, make sure that um, more community partners know that we can support someone that might be on the verge of some at-risk behavior. <clears throat> So in closing here, uh, if somebody wants to learn more about Mount Carmel, what you do, or even support you in any way, where can they go online? Well, our our web is veteranscenter.org. That's veteranscenter.org um, to, to get information. We, 
we we love when uh, people call seven seven two seven thousand to um, at least uh, get that's seven one nine seven seven two seven thousand. We're at uh, St. Mary Corwin Hospital um, here, where Doug's man in the office to to get uh, assistance as as needed, um, and then you know come and visit or or call. And then make an appointment, and then we'll we'll we will provide resources. Um, you know, it's just about asking. I've been at it for five years. There's not too many problems we haven't faced that we we can help with. And uh, I think you have coffee in each of your facilities too. So come have a cof- cup of coffee. And- Absolutely, and we we me being a soldier abides by the army standard: extra thick. Yep. <laughs> I just call it veteran coffee. I was in the Air Force, so we had cappuccinos. <laughs> That's why you're so smart. Now he has oat milk. <laughs> well, it, we appreciate you coming down here and but jumping Brian, on the show. Really quick before yeah. we end, Colonel, would you give a shout out? You have so many partners um, oh, in yeah. this endeavor. Would you just give a shout out to your partners in all of this, knowing that there might be one or two that sure. you, you forget, but we'll make sure to, to carry that on. But just give a shout out to them. So w- whether you're in the healthcare industry in the region or you're in academia um, here, or you're just supporting um, veterans through a, um, through a nonprofit, um, Doug and I appreciate the partnership and the, the willingness of everyone we come in come into contact with in this community to be curious and to want to do more to help veterans. My hope, as is Doug's hope, is that we can be part of the solution with what we've learned at Mount Carmel. So I would, I just want to thank anyone out there that's been a partner of ours to date and then encourage anybody who's curious about what we're doing uh, to connect with us to see what, you know, there's, there's um, like in the military, security and numbers. There's more to be done when you come together. So we you know, that's a core tenant of, of uh, what we do is do it with partners. Good. Right. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. And again, if anybody has any questions, um, email us at show at action22.org. If you want more information on Mount Carmel, you can visit their website, veteranscenter.org, or you can contact me again at the same email, show at action22.org, and we'll make that happen. If anybody is interested in partnering with Mount Carmel, please give me, me or Sarah an email and we'll make that happen. So. Absolutely. And if you aren't a member of Action 22 yet, what's the holdup? You need to be a part of our coalition, our group that is working with so many people um, around the state of Colorado. Uh, and you are going to automatically increase your influence just by being a member of Action 22. So um, reach out to us and we'll we'll tell you how to get that done. So thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll um, have more shows coming up. We've got lots of things happening, uh, but just engage with us and we will get you to the people that you need to get to. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.